Welcome to this week's edition of the Property Buyer and Sellers Podcast. I'm your host, Ken Hume, and I'm here to take you through the very latest news and views, hints, tips, and tricks to help you on your property journey. Good day to you all. This is the Property Buyer and Sellers Podcast. It's January the 6th, 2023. Welcome to the new year. How's it going so far for you? I hope it's going well. We're here, as always, to give you the latest in property news across the UK, as selected by me, Ken Hume, for the local property market and the national property market. Just to give you a feel of what's happening here at the Coalface, we're an estate agency based in southwest London that has hundreds of tenants and hundreds of properties that we sell throughout the year. And our team, therefore, has a real sort of hands-on feel for what's going on in the UK property market. So I hope you enjoy our broadcasts. And thank you for those of you that have subscribed so far and been downloading and enjoying the podcast. And thank you for all of your comments as well. We're always grateful. Remember, if you do want to write to us or get in touch, just drop us an email, ken at jamesalexander.com, J-A-M-E-S-A-L-E-X-A-N-D-E-R.com, ken, kilo, echo, november, at jamesalexander.com. Thank you. Now, on to the news. Uh, This one is in Sky News, and it's about mortgage approvals. Mortgage approvals have sunk to their lowest level in two years, the headline says. Uh, Mortgage approvals fell to the lowest level in two years as interest rises put off buyers, the new Bank of England figures suggest. They slumped to just over 46,000 in November. This is down from 57,800 in October and 68,900 in November 2021. A 33% fall year on year, that is. Economists polled by Reuters expected a more buoyant total of 55,000 despite the turmoil in the housing market after the September mini budget. Remortgaging approvals fell 37% in November compared to the previous month and down 30% compared to November 2021. The value of net mortgage debt owned by individuals in November increased from 3.6 billion to 4.4 billion. And they go on to quote, the sharp fall in house price purchase mortgage approvals in November comes as no surprise given the tentative fall in quoted mortgage rates from October's high levels and the withdrawal of some of the lenders in the wake of the mini budget. Samuel Toombs, chief economist at Pantheon Macroeconomics, said the fall in mortgage approvals was another indicator of slowing demand for UK housing as the rising interest rate environment bites, said Daniel Mahoney, chief economist at Handelsbanken. Well, that's our experience as well, is certainly there are less buyers out there registering than there were a year ago. And I think that's to be expected. But by the same token, the volume of sellers has gone down as well. And therefore, we're still seeing a balance between the two. There are still buyers out there. There's a big headline about what happened on Boxing Day, just retrospectively looking at what happened. And uh, this article is in The Independent. And it says that the housing market experienced a Boxing Day bounce with a number of sellers putting homes on the market up by 46 percent compared with the same day a year earlier, according to Rightmove. The website said the number of sellers putting their properties up for sale in December the 26th, on December 26th, rather, 2022, was the highest it had ever recorded for any Boxing Day. In further signs that people may be preparing for a move in 2023, Rightmove said the number of people contacting estate agents to value their home between Boxing Day and New Year's was the highest number recorded in a week since early September. Valuation requests were 29% higher um, And the ramp up in January and the spring selling season is expected after Christmas is what they're saying. Well, what we would say to that is that I think that the idea that you're going to get a buyer quicker and uh, the Boxing Day 
incentive is going to be successful is a bit of a myth. Most of us are sat there on Boxing Day, having eaten too much over Christmas, just recovering from the Christmas period, thinking about work again, bored, having watched the family movie yet again, maybe gone for a run, whatever it is you do. And then all of a sudden find yourself sitting down, bored. What do you do? You pick up your phone and you look at what the house prices are locally. Why? Because it's a national hobby in the UK. We all love it, don't we? What are we doing? What are we worth? What's our neighbour doing? Are they selling? Um, Is it selling? Is it still on the market? This is a national pastime. Everybody loves it. And the amount of people I go and see for valuations where they know exactly what's happened with all of their neighbours is incredible. It just goes to show the power of the websites such as Rightmove to inform people about what's going on in their local neighborhood so our belief is that the whole boxing day idea is a failed one and if you looked at the number of sales in boxing day i think you'd be shocked by how low they are given all of these new instructions coming to market the reason for that is that people aren't out physically viewing and what's happening is the agents are telling people that they are because they're looking at the statistics of click-throughs from the likes of right move and zoopla and a click-through is quite different from an actual register to view And so our strategy has and always will be to market properties in January because then we're in 2023. Tell me, why would you want to market on Boxing Day and be that one that was on in 2022? And then if your house languishes for any more than a few weeks, you look very old indeed if you're not careful. So, you know, our view is that that's a bit of a fallacy, but nonetheless, very popular. Something else that caught my eye was in the BBC News this week, and that was in Canada. Now, Canada's got one of the most unaffordable housing markets in the world. And what they've done is they've imposed a two-year ban on some foreigners buying homes. Uh, The ban helps to ease one of the most unaffordable housing markets in the world. As of this summer, the average price in Canada is $473,700, and that's more than 11 times the median household income after taxes. Some have been critical of the ban, saying it's unclear what impact it will have on Canada's housing market. Non-Canadian residents make up less than 6% of homeowners in Ontario and British Columbia, where national statistics indicate that home prices are the highest. As of 1st of January, the ban prohibits people who are not Canadian citizens or permanent residents from buying residential properties and imposes a $10,000 fine for those who breach it. Interesting tactic that. be interesting to see what it does to house prices in Canada. I'm sure the rest of the world will be watching to see what goes on. Uh, no surprise here, a headline from The Telegraph saying that the number of first-time buyers has fallen around 9% in 2022 as the cost of borrowing soared and low deposit mortgages disappeared. This is according to the Yorkshire Building Society. The number of people taking the first step onto the property ladder was estimated to have fallen to 370,000, edging down from a 20-year high of 400,000. So when you look at it in perspective, the figures aren't actually that bad. It was just skewed by the fact that the figures were so high previous to that. Um, It says that the figures were screwed by the coronavirus impact of the pandemic, and it says its estimate would still represent 5% annual increase compared with 2019, but the number of first-time buyers in 2022 was overall fewer than in the previous year. Those who bought a property for the first time in 2022 were believed to represent more than half of all house purchases with a mortgage, up from 50% in 2021 and 41% a decade ago. YBS economist Nitesh Patel said 2022 had started strongly for new mortgage deals before tailing off as economic uncertainty caused consumers to tighten their belts. And yes, we expect that uncertainty to prevent some from making a decision this year, of course. And where we see that going is we believe that the first time buyer market will still be okay. Uh, There will be um, a lot of landlords decide to sell up this year. 
that will be the difference this year is we will see, I think, more flats coming to market as investors decide to offload amongst the raft of negative uh, emotions along the lines of things that are coming, such as the Renters Reform Act, increasing interest rates, the inability to offset tax against interest uh, against uh, under Section 24, and all sorts of other challenges that are facing landlords right now. Not that you should feel sorry for them, but the flip side is, of course, rents are being pressured massively, and that's a topic we'll come on to, no doubt, throughout the news headlines. Challenges and opportunities for first-time buyers, says the independent. Aspiring first-time buyers deal with higher mortgage rates and surging rental costs in the new year, but those who are able to make the jump onto the property ladder may find they will have more bargaining power and a wider choice of properties and sellers more willing to consider lower offers. Simon Gammer, a partner at Knight Frank Finance, said, if you can put down a bigger deposit, then that will help you get one more mortgage options, two, a lower rate. Richard Donald, chief executive at Zoopla, said rents are expected to rise further in 2023, adding to the impetus to buy, although raising a deposit will remain the biggest challenge for first time buyers, as the best mortgage rates will be for lower loan to values. I think that's particularly true in an environment where rents have gone up so drastically that actually the proportion that buyers were able to save towards that deposit will go down as more of the proportion of their income is taken up by the meteorically rising rents. Uh, right moves property expert Tim Bannister, great statistician, Tim, we loved him, said first time buyers who can afford to move next year may find they have more choice and more negotiating power than they might have done during the pandemic frenzy, that they should not expect major price drops or bargains next year. And I think what Tim's saying there is there are no indications that the market's going to fall off a cliff. And this is something that we've said for a while now. Everybody that's hanging on expecting the property market to dive deeply hasn't considered the fact that it's not just buyers that get a choice. Sellers choose whether to sell or not. And most of them will hang on if they don't feel that they're getting a fair deal or a reasonable price for their homes. And then you underpin that with rising property, rising rents. And obviously that makes a massive impact as to whether people will decide to rent or actually buy another property. Those looking to come away from the residential market and go into rented will have a bit of a shock when they look at rents, no doubt. London areas that saw the biggest house price rises and falls now. Now, this is an article saying, and it's on all the major papers, saying that London cheapest, London's cheapest boroughs, including Barking and Dagenham, have enjoyed the biggest price rises in 2022. Average prices in Dagenham rose 6.6% to 339000 in the East London borough as buyers sought out affordable housing options amid the cost of living crisis, figures from Zoopla reveal. The Zoopla analysis shows that most of the biggest price rises were in outer London boroughs where buyers can get more for their money. Prices in more expensive central London boroughs barely rose. The smallest rise of all was in Westminster, where property prices only went up 1.3% to 976000 The Zoopla data also shows that since 2019, average house prices have risen 15% to 687000 while the average cost of a flat is only 3.5% higher at 409000 So it goes to show there's a real disparity happening now between houses and flats, which is an interesting statistic. One in three house sales collapses. This is an article from the Times, and there's an interesting one. What they're basically saying here is that the uh, over the past three months, 32% of agreed property sales have failed, according to Savills. And that's up from 24% in the first eight months of the year. 
The increase in sales collapsing is down to more caution among buyers, the rise in mortgage rates and higher lending criteria, said Lucian, Lucian Cook from Savills. Many homeowners are facing huge rises in their monthly repayments when their cheap fixed deals end. These higher borrowing costs are driving buyers to make lower offers or pull out of sales altogether. During the COVID lockdowns, the government introduced a stamp duty holiday, which sparked a surge of house sales. This caused backlogs in conveyancing firms, which they're still trying to work through. Well, I think that's true, but I also think there's been a sea change in people seeking for value in conveyancing services. And my opinion is that the problem is that when you seek out cheap and good, they don't go together. And therefore, we're finding that where we're struggling the most with sales chains is where we have some certain conveyancing firms that are so inefficient and some solicitors indeed as well, some conveyancing solicitors, their procedures are so archaic, so backward and so um, unorganized that actually it's causing our clients, both buyers and sellers, great frustration. And I don't see this improving anytime soon because there's a disparity. And I tell you what the disparity is. There's a mismatch between the amount that buyers expect from solicitors and the amount solicitors are prepared to give. An example being, if you imagine that the average hourly rate for a solicitor is £200 and then you can get conveyancing services for a fixed fee of £500, then you can see that after a couple of hours, theoretically, if there's any more work than that to be done, the solicitor is giving free service or the conveyancing service giving free service, arguably. So therefore, there's a mismatch. Um, and therefore, what happens is that in these particularly these circumstances, it tends to go to paper shufflers. And these paper shufflers, their job is to tick boxes and move paperwork along. And then it goes to the desk of the actual conveyancer or responsible person who has to review that information. And of course, their inbox gets higher and higher. So the very cheap conveyancing services I would be really, really cautious of. It's not just the cheap ones. Some of the expensive ones are bad too. But do go with recommendations of people who have had experience when it comes to conveyancing solicitors and conveyancing firms in general, licensed conveyancers. Um, just clarity there. Licensed conveyancers have the same level of experience when it comes to property transactions as solicitors. Of course, they can't advise you on other legal matters. So whether you use a property conveyancer or solicitor is a matter of choice. The conveyances will argue that this is their specialism and it's all they do. The solicitors will argue that they have a broader breadth of experience in other areas should you need it. Um, so the choice is yours. But our advice is don't go for the cheapest, go for quality. People often ask me, do you know good cheap solicitor? And I always say the same thing. I know a good one, and I know a cheap one, but the cheap one will cost you more than the good one in the long run because you'll probably lose the property you're going for as people wait forever for it to go through. Now, uh, something that I noticed that I thought was uh, quite interesting, a sandbank. We're back to the old um, Harry Redknapp's place down there on Sandbanks and Jamie Redknapp where they live, the Sandbanks Resort. And there's a hut for sale for 450000 Could you believe this is a beach hut? Um, Hull, Hut 170 is one of the best positioned cabins in Mudford. I'm not sure if it's Mudford or Mudeford, M-U-D-E-F-O-R-D. Perspective owners will find themselves next to the exclusive Sandbanks Resort where celebrities such as Harry Redknapp and Jamie Redknapp reside. The property has no toilet or shower and requires a 30-minute walk to get there. If you look at it, it looks like a shed, nothing more, nothing less. Despite this, the wooden shack is on the market for £154,000 more than the average house in the UK. It means potential buyers will have to fork out a hefty 450000 if they wish to get their hands on the unique abode. Can you imagine paying £450,000 for a shed? It's just incredible. But then that's the life of the super rich, isn't it? Uh, nearly 50 shops have shut down a day in 2022. 
this is an interesting article I picked up from Sky News. It says research by the Center for Retail Research found that more than 17,000 shops closed last year, and that's the highest total in five years. It said 11,600 closures were due to rationalization programs by large retailers or independents, simply shutting up shop for good, while 5,500 were due to some form of insolvency proceedings. The closures resulted in 151,000 retail jobs being lost last year, an increase of more than 45,000 on the year before. It said that retailers and landlords would have to pay close to 1.1 billion from April the 1st to cover the business rates on sites that have been empty for three months. Robert Hayton, UK press at Altus Group, said rate-free periods need to be urgently extended to reflect the time it actually takes to relet vacant properties. Well, I actually think we need a complete rethink about all these vacant shops in shopping centres, and we do need to consider reverting those into much-needed housing, especially for rental. Finally, the Daily Mail article, what's in store for UK buy-to-let landlords in 2023? And they say landlords face squeeze margins in 2023 as borrowing costs make it harder to remain profitable. Although demand for private rented housing is up, higher rents have been offset by rising mortgage rates. Some brokers predict a fire sale of buy-to-let properties when landlords come to remortgage despite the higher income from soaring rents. Landlords will also be hit by a capital gains tax rate from next year. The annual exempt amount for CGT will be cut from 12.3 to 6,000 in April and then halved again to just 3,000 in April 2024. Well, as we've spoken before on the programme, that, that actual CGT cut doesn't make a huge amount of difference to most sellers. The renters reform bill, however, this is a big one, will make it harder for landlords to evict problem tenants and the prospect of tighter energy performance laws also now looms. Well, first of all, on the renters reform bill, we've yet to see the final draft of that and it's yet to go through Parliament, but it is coming. Watch this space. We'll be reporting more on it as we find out more about it. But what we can tell you is that fixed term tenancies are ending. We're going to have open ended tenancies and Section 21, the no fault eviction will not be possible anymore but there will be other clauses which will allow you to evict your tenants so the document is actually the renters reform act is actually much more balanced than the average press article uh, would lead you to believe i believe there's a lot of alarmist rhetoric about how bad the renters reform act will be there will be ways to evict your tenants and under section eight there will be new powers for you to evict your tenant for reasons such as you wish to sell it or the tenant is in arrears will still be there as well, um, or you wish for a family member to move in. All those things will still be valid grounds. Neela Chohan, a partner at UHY Hacker Young, says an increasing number of landlords have been selling off or reducing their portfolios in the less in the last year. Less favourable tax treatment has encouraged this exit from the sector, as well as dissuading newcomers from entering the market. Well, I think if you're a newcomer entering the market, then you probably want to go the limited company route. Um, and that's due to the ability to still offset the interest payments against tax. And that's something we see more and more this year is landlords actually using limited companies in order to buy properties because they do have many tax advantages there are some disadvantages as well but i think on balance if you're looking to build a portfolio over the medium or long term then the limited company could be the way to go for you although of course this is not financial advice that's not what we're here to do we're just here to help you with what's going on in the uk property market so i hope you enjoyed this week's show thanks very much for listening as always if there's anything you'd like us to cover on the show in more detail then do drop me an email, ken at jamesalexander.com or give me a call, 0208 679 8601. Take care of yourselves and if you can, your family and friends. Ciao. Thank you so much for joining us on yet another edition of the Property Buyer and Sellers podcast. 
You can find out more at our website, jamesalexander.com. You can email me directly, ken at jamesalexander.com. We are estate agents and we can give you hints, tips, tricks and advice wherever you're buying, selling, moving to or from. Thanks to Ben Sounds for the intro and outro today and thanks to Jack Bowles for production. 